0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Enchanted Island of You by L. Frank Baum Recorded by Ted DeLorme in Fort Mill, South Carolina, October 2006 Chapter 10 Prince Marvel WINS HIS FIGHT When the door had closed on the royal dragon, King Terribus turned again to Prince Marvel, while his crimson face glowed with embarrassment, and his front eye rolled with baffled rage as he thought how vain had been all his efforts to kill this impudent invader of his domains but his powers were by no means exhausted he was a mighty king the mightiest of all in the enchanted island he believed and ways to destroy his enemies were numerous send for a hundred of my gray men he suddenly cried and a courtier ran at once to summon them the gray men would obey his orders without question he well knew they were silent stubborn quick and faithful to their king. Terebus had but to command, and his will would be obeyed. They entered the room so quietly that Nurl never knew they were there, until he turned and found the hundred gray ones standing close together in the center of the hall. Then Prince Marvel came to Nurl's side, and whispered something in his ear will you obey my orders they heard the king ask and the gray men with their eyes fixed upon their master nodded all their hundred heads and put their hands upon the dangerous three-tined forks that were stuck in every one of the hundred belts prince marvel handed one end of a coiled rope to nurl and then they both sprang forward and ran around the spot where the hundred gray men stood huddled together then they were pulled closer together than before closer and still closer for the prince and nurl had surrounded them with the rope and were tying the two ends together in a tight knot the rope cut into the waists of those on the outside and they pressed inward against their fellows until there was scarcely space to stick a knife-blade between any two of them when the prince had tied the rope firmly king terebus who had been looking on amazed saw that his hundred grey men were fastened together like a bundle of kindling wood and were unable to stir hand or foot and while he still gazed open-mouthed at the strange sight Prince Marvel tilted the bundle of men up on its edge, and rolled it out of the door. It went rolling swiftly through the courtyard, and bounded down the castle steps, where the rope broke, and the men fell sprawling in all directions on the marble walk. King Terebus sighed, for such treatment of his grey men, whom he dearly loved, made him very unhappy but more than ever was he resolved to kill these impudent strangers, who in the very heart of his kingdom, where thousands bowed to his will, dared openly defy his power. So after a moment's thought Terebus beckoned to a dwarf who, robed in gay and glittering apparel, stood near his throne. "'Summon the royal dart-slingers,' he said with a scowl. The little man bowed and hastened away, to return presently with twenty curiously crooked dwarves, each armed with a sling and a quiver full of slender, sharp-pointed darts. "'Slay me these strangers!' exclaimed the king in his gruffest voice now nurl when he beheld these terrible dart-slingers of whom he had heard many tales in his boyhood began to shiver and shake with fright so that his teeth rattled one upon another and he reflected soon i shall be content for these darts will doubtless pierce every part of my body the dwarfs formed a line at one side of the gloomy throne-room and Prince Marvel, who had been earnestly regarding them, caught Nerl by the arm and led him to the opposite wall. "'Stand close behind me, and you will be safe,' he whispered to his esquire. Then each dwarf fixed a dart in his sling, and at a word from their chief they all drew back their arms, and launched a shower of the sharp missiles at the stranger's. Swift and true they sped, each dart intended to pierce the body of the youthful knight who stood so calm before them. Prince Marvel had raised his right arm, and in his hand was a small leather sack, with a wide mouth. As the darts flew near him a strange thing happened. They each and all swerved from their true course, and fell rattling into the leathern sack, TO THE WONDER OF THE ROYAL SLINGERS, AND THE DISMAY OF KING TERRIBUS HIMSELF. AGAIN, CRIED THE KING, HIS USUALLY MILD VOICE, hoarse WITH ANGER. SO AGAIN THE DWARVES CAST THEIR DARTS, AND AGAIN THE LEATHERN SACK CAUGHT THEM EVERY ONE. ANOTHER FLIGHT FOLLOWED, AND YET ANOTHER, TILL THE MAGIC SACK WAS PACKED FULL OF THE DARTS, AND NOT A DWARF HAD ONE REMAINING IN HIS QUIVER amid the awed silence of the beholders of this feat the merry laughter of prince marvel rang loud and clear for the sight of the puzzled and terrified faces about him was very comical plucking a dart from the sack he raised his arm and cried now it is my turn you shall have back your darts hold shouted the king in great fear "'Do not, I beg your slay my faithful servant.' And with a wave of his hand he dismissed the dwarves, who were glad to rush from the room and escape. Nurl wiped the tears from his eyes, for he was sorely disappointed at having again escaped all the pain and discomfort. But Prince Marvel seated himself quickly upon a stool, and looked at the scowling face of King Terebus with real amusement." The monarch of Spore had never before been so foiled and scorned by any living creature. Defeated and humbled before his own people, he bowed his crimson head on his hands, and sullenly regarded his foe with his top eye. Then it was that the idea came to him that no ordinary mortal could have thwarted him so easily— and he began to fear he was dealing, perhaps unawares, with some great magician or sorcerer, that a fairy should have assumed a mortal form he never once considered, for such a thing was until then unheard of in the enchanted island of Yew. But with the knowledge that he had met his master, whoever he might prove to be, and that further attempts upon the stranger's life might lead to his own undoing, King Terebus decided to adopt a new line of conduct, hoping to accomplish by stratagem what he could not do by force. To be sure, there remained his regiment of giants, the pride of his kingdom, but Terebus dreaded to meet with another defeat, and he was not at all sure after what had happened that the giants would succeed in conquering or destroying the strangers. After all, he thought, my only object in killing them was to prevent their carrying news of my monstrous appearance to the outside world. So, if I can but manage to keep them forever in my kingdom, it will answer my purpose equally well. As the result of this thought, he presently raised his head and spoke to Prince Marvel in a quiet, and even cheerful voice enough of these rude and boisterous games said he with a smile that showed his white teeth in a repulsive manner they may have seemed to my people an ill welcome to my good friend prince Marvel. "'Yet they were only designed to show the powers of the mighty magician who has become my guest. "'Oh, nay, do not deny it, Prince. From the first I guessed your secret, and to prove myself right, "'I called my servants to oppose you, being sure they could not do you an injury.' but no more of such fooling and pray forgive my merry game at your expense henceforth we shall be friends and you are heartily welcome to the best my kingdom affords with this speech terebus stepped down from his throne and approached prince marvel with outstretched hand the prince was not at all deceived But he was pleased to see how cunningly the king excused his attempts to kill him so he laughed and touched the hand terribus extended for this fairy prince seemed to have no anger against any mortal who ventured to oppose him the strangers were now conducted with every mark of respect to a beautiful suite of apartments in the castle wherein were soft beds with velvet spreads, marble baths with perfumed waters, and a variety of silken and brocaded costumes from which they might select a change of raiment. No sooner had they bathed and adorned themselves fittingly than they were summoned to the king's banquet-hall, being escorted thither by twelve young maidens bearing torches with lavender-coloured flames. The night had fallen upon the mountains outside, but the great banquet-hall was brilliant with the glow of a thousand candles, and seated at the head of the long table was King Terebus. Yet here, as in the throne-room, the ruler of Spore was dressed in simplest garments, and his seat was a rough block of stone. All about him were lords and ladies in gorgeous array, the walls were hung with rare embroideries, the table was weighted with gold platters, and richly carved goblets filled with sweet nectars, but the king himself, with his horrid ugly head, was like a great blot on a fair parchment, and even Prince Marvel could not repress a shudder as he gazed upon him. Terebus placed his guest upon his right hand and loaded him with honors. Nurl stood behind the prince's chair and served him faithfully as an esquire should. But the other servants treated Nurl with much deference, noting in him an air of breeding that marked him the unusual servant of an unusual master. Indeed, most curious were the looks cast on these marvelous men who had calmly walked into the castle of mighty Terebus, and successfully defied his anger. For in spite of his youthful appearance and smiling face, every attendant at the banquet feared Prince Marvel even more than they feared their own fierce king. End. Chapter 10 CHAPTER Eleven. THE CUNNING OF KING TERRIBUS The days that followed were pleasant ones for Prince Marvel and Nurl, who were treated as honoured guests by both the king and his courtiers. But the prince seemed to be the favourite, for at all games of skill and trials of arms he was invariably the victor, while in the evenings when the grand ballroom was lighted up and the musicians played sweet music. None was so graceful in the dance as the fairy prince. Nurl soon tired of the games and dancing, for he had been accustomed to them at his father's castle, and moreover he was shy in the society of ladies, so before many weeks had passed he began to mope and show a discontented face. One day the prince noticed his esquire's dismal expression of countenance. And asked the cause of it, why said Nurl Here I have left my home to seek worries and troubles, and have found but the same humdrum life that existed at my father's castle. Here our days are made smooth and pleasant, and there is no excitement or grief whatever. You have become a carpet knight, Prince Marvel, and think more of bright eyes than of daring deeds. "'so if you will release me from your service, I will seek further adventures.' "'Nay,' returned the prince, "'we will go together, for I too am tired of this life of pleasure.' So next morning Marvel sought the presence of King Terribus, and said, "'I have come to bid your majesty adieu, "'for my esquire and I are about to leave your dominions.' At first the king laughed, and his long nose began to sway from side to side. Then, seeing the prince was in earnest, his majesty frowned and grew disturbed. Finally he said, "'I must implore you to remain my guests a short time longer. No one has ever before visited me in my mountain home, and I do not wish to lose the pleasure of your society so soon.' "'Nevertheless, we must go,' answered the prince briefly. "'Are you not contented?' asked Terebus. "'Ask whatever you may desire, and it shall be granted you.' "'We desire adventures amid new scenes,' said Marvel. "'And these you cannot give us, except my permission to depart.' Seeing his guest was obstinate, the king ceased further argument, and said— very well go if you wish but i shall hope to see you return to us this evening the prince paid no heed to this peculiar speech but left the hall and hurried to the courtyard of the castle where Nurl was holding the horses in readiness for their journey standing around were many rows and files of the gray men and when they reached the marble roadway they found it lined with motionless forms of the huge giants. But no one interfered with them in any way, although both Prince Marvel and Nurl knew that every eye followed them as they rode forward. Curiously enough, they had both forgotten from what direction they had approached the castle, for whereas they had at the time noticed but one marble roadway leading to the entrance, They now saw that there were several of these, each one connecting with a path through the mountains. "'It really doesn't matter which way we go, so long as we get away from the kingdom of Spore,' said Prince Marvel. So he selected a path by chance, and soon they were riding through a mountain pass. The pleased, expectant look on Nurl's face had gradually turned to one of gloom. "'I hoped—' We should have a fight to get away,' he said sadly. "'And in that case I might have suffered considerable injury and pain. But no one has injured us in any way, and perhaps King Terebus is really glad to be rid of us.' "'With good reason, too, if such is the case,' laughed Marvel. "'For mark you, Nurl, the King has discovered we are more powerful than he is. And had he continued to oppose us, we might have destroyed his entire army." On they rode, through the rough hill paths, winding this way and that, until they lost all sense of the direction in which they were going. "'Never mind,' said the prince. So long as we get farther and farther away from the ugly terribus, I shall be satisfied." "'Perhaps we are getting into more serious danger than ever,' answered Nurl, brightening. One of the giants told me the other day that near the foot of these mountains is the kingdom of the High Kai of Twi.' "'Who is the High Kai of Twi?' asked Prince Marvel. "'No one knows,' answered Nurl. "'And what is the kingdom of Twi like?' "'No one knows that,' answered Nurl. "'Then,' returned the prince with a smile, "'if by chance we visit the place, we shall know more than any one else.' At noon they ate luncheon by the wayside, Nurl having filled his pouch by stealth at the breakfast-table. There were great fragments of rock lying all about them, and the sun beat down so fiercely that the heat reflected from the rocks was hard to bear.' so the travellers did not linger over their meal, but remounted and rode away as soon as possible. When the sun began to get lower in the sky, the rocks beside the path threw the riders into shadow, so that their journey became more pleasant. They rode along, paying little attention to the way, but talking and laughing merrily together, until it began to grow dark. "'Does this path never end?' asked prince marvel suddenly we ought to reach some place where men dwell before long else we shall be obliged to spend the night among these rocks and then perhaps the wolves will attack us said nurl cheerfully and tear us into pieces with their sharp teeth and claws but even as he spoke they rode around a turn in the path and saw a sight that made them pause in astonishment FOR JUST BEFORE THEM ROSE THE CASTLE OF KING terebus AND ALONG BOTH SIDES OF THE MARBLE WALK LEADING UP TO IT WERE RANGED THE LINES OF GIANTS, EXACTLY AS THEY HAD STOOD IN THE MORNING. NURL TURNED AROUND IN HIS SADDLE. SURE ENOUGH THERE WERE THE GRAY MEN IN THE REAR, STEPPING FROM BEHIND EVERY boulder AND COMPLETELY FILLING THE ROCKY PATHWAY well what shall we do asked the esquire fight no indeed returned prince marvel laughing at his friend's eager face it appears the path we chose winds around in a circle and so has brought us back to our starting point so we must make the best of a bad blunder and spend another night with our ugly friend king terribus they rode forward through the rows of giants to the castle, where the ever-courteous servants took their horses and escorted them to their former handsome apartments with every mark of respect. No one seemed in the least surprised at their speedy return, and this fact at first puzzled Nirl, and then made him suspicious. After bathing and dusting their clothing, they descended to the banquet-hall, where King Terebus sat upon his grey stone throne, and welcomed them with quiet courtesy. The sight of the king's crimson skin and deformed face sent a thrill of repugnance through Prince Marvel, and under the impulse of a sudden thought he extended his hand towards Terebus, and whispered a magic word which was unheard by any around him. "'Nurl did not notice the prince's swift gesture, nor the whispered word. "'But he was staring straight at Terebus at the time, "'and he saw with surprise the eye on the top of the king's head "'move down toward his forehead, "'and the eye in the centre of his forehead slide slightly toward the left, "'and the elephant-like nose shrink and shorten at the same time.' Also it seemed to him that the king's skin was not so crimson in colour as before, and that a thin growth of hair had covered his head. However, no one else appeared to notice any change, least of all Terribus. So Nurl seated himself at the table, and began to eat. "'It was very kind of you to return so soon to my poor castle.' said the king to prince marvel in his sweet voice we could not help it laughed the prince in reply for the road wound right and left until we knew not which way we travelled and then it finally circled around again to your castle but to-morrow we shall seek a new path and bid you farewell for ever still remarked the king gravely "'Should you again miss your way, I shall be glad to welcome your return.' The prince bowed politely by way of reply, and turned to address the little maiden he had once saved from death by poison, and so, in feasting and dancing and laughter, the evening passed pleasantly enough to the prince, and it was late when he called Nerl to attend him to their apartment. End Chapter 11 The story will continue on the next recording.